Welcome to Vision is More Than 2020, a podcast aimed at talking about your vision, your eyes, and how they play a role in overall visual and systemic function. Dr. Zolnicki and Lakowski, with the help of various guests, will work to help you understand more about your visual system and all the pieces to the vision puzzle. Many people today spend a lot of time looking at screens like phones, tablets, and computers. The high visual demands of screen usage can make us feel tired and stressed. ScreenFit is a six-week vision wellness program made by eye doctors to help develop healthy visual habits and relieve the stress that screens can place on our visual system. By learning about how to take care of our eyes and using helpful tips, we can improve our well-being and get more done. If you spend a lot of time looking at screens, you owe it to yourself to try ScreenFit. You can visit www.screenfit.com to learn more and receive 10% off any program enrollment by using our promo code VIMT10. Hey guys, welcome to this week's episode of Vision is More Than 2020. It's going to be just a Dr. Z episode today. We are going to be doing a series of back to basics and we're just going to kind of go back and do some, like I said, some basics. And we are going to start with for today, just what is a vision therapy evaluation? Now I recorded this episode literally uh, back in December of 2019. I was 38 weeks pregnant. My husband sent me to the office and it was, I had this idea for this podcast and I was so nervous and he was like, just go. And then I had my son on January 1st of that year of 2020. So the podcast kind of got put on hold. And then when I got back to the office. Uh, my first full week was the week that the world shut down with COVID. Uh, so it really opened up uh, the opportunity for the podcast to really take off because uh, Dr. L and I had closed the office for about 10, 11 weeks. And during that time, we were going kind of crazy. And it really opened the door for the podcast to really take off. Uh, but that episode sometimes gets buried because it's literally like episode one <laughs> in the podcast archives. And I was very green and didn't really know what I was doing. I just was kind of getting on and recording. Um, so I wanted to just revisit that. And I know that the podcast has been a little spotty. Uh, Jess and I are trying to figure out a schedule and getting things back on track. But like I said, we have lots of good plans coming for the second half of the year. And really, we're just going to get back on the horn and really bring you guys some great content and some great guests. So this episode, like I said, is designed to go over what a vision therapy evaluation is. Now, for the doctors listening, this is a really going to be a great one for you to share with your patients, share as a resource for if you're giving lectures for people to listen to more in depth what a vision therapy evaluation is. For the parents listening and potential patients listening, it'll kind of give you an insight into why vision therapy and rehabilitation may be a good fit for you. So let's jump on in. (laughs) So first and foremost, what is a vision therapy evaluation, right? Like what sets vision a vision therapy evaluation apart from a regular eye exam, right? Most people get eye exams every year. That's the hope. And it starts off the same, right? The very first thing that we're concerned with is, can you see? <laughs> can you see 
right? The gold standard is can you see 2020? And we want to uncover if you have any type of refractive error, right? We want to know if there is any nearsightedness or myopia that means that you can't see in the distance. Is there any hyperopia, which is called farsightedness, which depending on how much farsightedness you have, you may be blurry at both distance and near, or you may just be a little blurry at near. Um, it depends on your age and lots of factors. And then there's the dreaded, right, that people call the stigma. Really, it's the uh, stigmatism. And that really just means that your eyeball may be shaped more like a football than a basketball. Essentially, you have two prescriptions in your eye versus one. Now, you can have a combination of myopia and astigmatism or baropia and astigmatism. And then if you've reached that threshold in your life of presbyopia or needing reading glasses, we assess that as well. But the very first step in vision is understanding if you are seeing clearly and if you need any interventions such as glasses or contact lenses to get you to see clearly. Now, the next piece is the eye healthy. And this is really important. And sometimes vision therapy doctors um, can miss this one, right? Because we always see everything through the vision therapy lens, but we need to make sure that all of the pieces to the ocular health puzzle are intact. We need to know, is the eyeball, the structure of the eye healthy? And we look at every layer of the eye. We look at that one, the surrounding area. Then we look at that front surface. Then we look at further back into the eye and we look all the way into the retina, right? We wanna assess if the eye and the structure of the eye is healthy because that can deter us either which way if we think someone is a good fit for vision therapy or not. Now, this is where a traditional eye exam ends, right? <laughs> they want to know, can you see clearly? Do you need some help doing that? And is your eye healthy, right? Any signs of glaucoma, macular degeneration, anything like that going weird on the, in the retina? And then they say, okay, see you later. That's the end. But this is just the start of our vision therapy evaluation, right? Because we need, we know that this, these two things are very, very critical. It sets the stage for the ability to alter and and improve your vision, right? Now, we just talked all about structure. Vision therapy is really about the function of the visual system. And where we delve into and in taking things further is really understanding how the two eyes work together. And this is where, like I said, the traditional eye exam ends and where we pick up. And in my opinion, this is the most important piece because <laughs> I shouldn't say the most important piece, but it's the piece that pulls everything together. Because I'm sure some listeners are hearing this and saying, I've gone to five different doctors. They all tell me my eye is healthy and that I can see clearly or their child is struggling in school and they've brought them to the ophthalmologist and they say there's nothing wrong with their eyes. And those doctors aren't wrong. There is structurally nothing wrong, but functionally there often is. So let's talk about the pieces to the vision puzzle. <laughs> I like to break the visual system down into the gathering process and then the processing process because they're two separate entities that work together. But again, the eye needs to be seen clearly, it needs to be healthy. Then we need to have the gathering system understood. And then once we understand the gathering system, then we can understand the processing and the integration system.
So the very first piece to the gathering system is the ocular motor system, your tracking system. Now we look at this system in three ways. There's three pieces to this puzzle. There is your fixation, there, there are your fixations. Then we have your saccades and we have your pursuits. Your fixation is how steady can you keep your eye on a target? And it's interesting, you think that is a super easy task, and it should be, but for some patients with brain injuries, concussions, some neurological disorders, this can be very difficult, and it really can alter how well you can track and scan because your eye can't even stay still at a target for longer than a few seconds. We then assess your saccades. Your saccades are your ability to jump from one target to another accurately. Now for this, we want it to be done right from point A to point B. Oftentimes patients do a little bunny hop where they get about maybe 50 to 80% of the way and then they have to go the other percentage to get to the target. Now this is important in reading, right? If you're not accurately making those jumps, things are gonna be pretty jumbled. And when you're driving, if you're not accurately looking back and forth to a target, again, things are going to feel a little bit off. The third piece to the ocular motor puzzle is those pursuits. These are your ability to accurately and easily track something without losing focus. So you want to go from one object to the other. Now, this one is also hard for patients. Uh, you know, especially those younger kids, there's often a lot of what we call motor overflow, right? There's a lot of body movement, a lot of mouth movement, a lot of head movement associated with that pursuit movement. And it's very obvious to parents that, oh, maybe my kid is struggling with reading because he can't separate his eyes and his body. And that one's a really apparent one. And again, this is important in reading, right? Like you have to jump from track all the way across and then accurately smoothly move your eyes from one end of the line to the right all the way down to the left. If you're not doing that accurately, you can completely lose your place. So the ocular motor system, although seems very simple, right? Oh, that's just your tracking and scanning system. It's made up of all of these these pieces. This these three it's a three-part system that needs to work in conjunction with each other to to do the tracking and scanning accurately and quickly. And now you can have, you know, good fixations and good pursuits with poor saccades, or you can have all three not working well, or it doesn't much matter, but it's important to assess all three pieces to the ocular motor system to really understand how and what your patient is doing in their everyday tasks. Now, the second piece to the gathering system is your focusing muscle. Now, I ache in the focusing muscle to a bicep muscle, right? In exams, you're always trying to help patients really understand these concepts so they can understand like what you're talking about because they've often never heard of any of these things, right? They know that they know 2020, they know nearsightedness, but when you start talking about the function of the visual system, when you start talking about the function of the visual system, they kind of literally start to go cross-eyed and have no idea what you're talking about. So the focusing muscle, like I said, I ache in it to the bicep muscle. And I always say we look at it 
in two ways. We look at how much can you, that muscle bench press and how quickly can it do a curl. And what I mean by that is we look at the amplitude. How much can that focusing muscle hold and keep things clear? And then we look at how quickly can it change focus from distance to near. Now that muscle is meant to quickly change from distance to near, right? That's, that's what it's meant to do. We do it all day, every day. So by looking at it in both ways, we get a, a clearer picture of that focusing muscle, right? Because they might be really good at switching back and forth so they don't have any issues copying from the board, but that focusing muscle might not have the capability of holding focus for an extended period of time, which can translate into intermittent blurred vision while just looking up close. So you wanna do both tests. You wanna look at the amplitude of the accommodative system as well, of the, as well as the facility of the accommodative system to really understand how the eye is working. Now, the last piece to the puzzle <laughs> is the binocular system, the two eyes together. Right now, this system we look at in a lot of ways. <laughs> we look at first and foremost your visual posture. So, what is your visual posture? Right, we look at does your eyes turn have a tendency to turn in or turn out at distance and near? Now, I think it's a really important distinction that people understand that this doesn't mean they have a permanent eye turn. And I tell patients this, this is just the tendency. It's just the little slip in your system. You can't control it. This is just the way you're made, sort of like your shoe size. Um, some patients do have an eye turn, right? That's strabismus, and that's usually very apparent. But your posture, no one would know. It's just the tendency that your body has to compensate for. Now, everybody either their eyes either turn in or turn out. Some patients even have a slight vertical deviation, which we want to assess because that vertical, that small vertical deviations can cause difficulty with horizontal fusion, right? So we are constantly looking very closely at a patient's visual posture. Now, why this is important is because it helps us understand how the patient is functioning, right? Are they working harder than the average person to keep things single and clear? For example, somebody who at near has a visual posture of 12 exophoria is working way harder than the average person who typically is about a four exophor at near, right? They're working three times as hard to keep things single and clear. Now, once we know what their posture is, we then look at their, what we call their vergence ranges. And their vergence ranges are just that, their ability to keep things single and clear and to compensate for that posture. So it doesn't matter what your posture is as long as you have the capability to compensate for it, right? I've had patients that have large exophores at, at distance and near, and they're completely asymptomatic. I look at their ranges and they're above and beyond the, the normative value. And I'm like, okay, they're good to go. And then I have those that maybe have just a, a normal visual posture that falls within to the normal range, but their compensatory ranges are very, very low and very, very narrow. Now for the doctors listening, I really look at, and I think this is an important factor, and it tells us a lot about the patient's visual system, is I really like to look at the, the, the break, 
to recovery ratio. Because patients sometimes can really hold it together, right? Their their range and before they break is falls within to the normal range and they're great, but their recovery is super low. And what that often translates to me in real life is that patient is good, 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 good. And then they reach this point, bang, and they can't recover. They need to get up. They need to walk away. For a kid, they might have a tantrum. You know, it, it just, they can't communicate what's wrong. And it's just their visual system can't recover. So I really look at not only what the numbers are, but what the numbers are in relation to each other, because it's super important. Now, additionally, to those ranges, uh, we, and like I said, this should be done at both distance and near. And it, I find that the distance ranges for my non-concussed patients really gives, I mean, and our concussion patients really, gives us a really good sense of their like overall visual stability. You know, I have patients that come in that say like, things are clear, I just feel visually off and things just don't seem as steady as they should be and just feels weird. And they can't really put their finger on like how to describe what's happening visually. And to me, that is often that their distance visual ranges are are narrow and reduced. And it, I feel like the distance ranges really gives us our overall visual stability. Now, we know a hallmark of post-concussion patients is the fact that their distance fusional ranges are reduced. Now, this is not a normal finding in patients that have, you know, normal binocular vision, um, and it really wreaks havoc on how they function visually. So I encourage you to always check distance and near emergence ranges, even if it's like a traditional skills case, like a kid in elementary school. Uh, we also like to look at the very simple bedside test of uh, a near point of convergence. Now, this is something that a lot of other professions have really picked up on. I know that my concussion specialist, this was one of the pieces that she kind of took from our initial conversation. I said, like, this is a good test, a good, like, down and dirty test to just do with your patients. It takes just a minute or two uh, to give you an indication of how their two eyes are working together, right? She doesn't know how to do a cover test. She doesn't know how to assess a posture or emergence ranges, but she can and did learn how to do a near point of convergence. And the near point of convergence, although a simple test, is so useful in giving a lot of information. And very simply, right, you just put that pen on the midline of the patient. The instruction set is easy. Tell me when you see two. As the person who's observing, you want to, if they don't see double, you want to make sure you look for a break in fusion because not every patient ob observes that double. And you bring it in close, nice and slow with an accommodative target. You can simply just use a pen and you bring it in and you assess when their two eyes stop working together and then when do they recover. Now the key here, right, that could be done in literally 10 seconds, but the key here is that you wanna repeat this maybe two, three times initially and see if there's any, any regression, any difference, right? Because that really indicates the fatigue factor. And then you can test it for you know, your patients that are a little younger with a non-accommodative target to help us understand if they, you know, how they're, coordinating the accommodative system and the virgin system together. And if there's more of an accommodative issue versus that virgin issue. And then I really love testing 
near point of convergence again at the end of my exams because, again, we just did like a visual stress test. If there's going to be any sort of regression or fatigue factor to their visual system, this test will catch it at the end. And that's something that, that we, we like to do. Additionally, you can always do a virgin's facility, which is sort of like the accommodative facility. Um, how quickly can your eyes um, go from convergence to divergence and, you know, based on our normative values. And then there's also for our concussion patients, the tenon flipper, which is sort of like a distance virgin's facility. And all these tests really help us understand, okay, how do you gather visual information? And I say, if any of those systems aren't working, that means that information is coming into the visual system jumbled, and it's going to take time and energy for that visual system to unjumble it to then process it. And this really helps parents understand like, oh my goodness, my kid is working so incredibly hard to even get the information in and then and even just uncover it and make it make sense. Of course, they're going to be fatigued. Of course, their reading comprehension is going to be down. Of course, they're going to be avoidant, uh, avoidant of the near work. Now, the last piece to the vision puzzle is how do we then process that visual information, right? All this information just came in. Now, what do we do with it? Now, this system is a second exam that we do. Uh, it's called a perceptual exam. This is often an additional hour, if not longer, where we really start to understand the two eyes and how they process things, right? We look at visual memory, figure ground, um, visual motor integration, if there's any directionality or laterality issues. We look at lots of different pieces to that perceptual puzzle. In addition, right, we also can and will assess the auditory visual integration, the vestibular visual integration, right? We really want to understand how those other systems are integrating with the visual system and if there's an issue. So you can tell a vision therapy evaluation is looking at so much more than if you can see 2020. And this is really why Dr. L and I started this podcast was to educate patients, parents, and other professionals that there is so much more to your visual system than just seeing clearly and that your eye is healthy. We want to understand how the two eyes are working together, how they're gathering, how they're processing, and how they're integrating with other systems so that you have a clear, steady percept of the world. And the key here is that your vision is not only clear, but that it's comfortable in all visual environments. You know, at the end of the day, you shouldn't be symptomatic. You, sh you know, we're not designed to be in front of a computer for long periods of time, but computers and technology aren't going away. So we have to gear our visual systems up to meet those demands. And there's nothing wrong with needing a little tweak. I joke constantly with my patients that everybody could use a little vision therapy. <laughs> sort of like everybody could use regular therapy. Everybody could use a little vision therapy, right? Because vision is a learned process. So we can always improve upon our visual skills. The question is, is, is it necessary? 
And sometimes the answer is no. I do plenty of evaluations where I say to the parents, listen, the kids are functioning fine. Maybe they have one or two outlying issues, but why don't we just monitor them? If we start to see signs and symptoms of visual dysfunctions, that's when we put in an intervention. Now, what are those signs and symptoms? Headaches, eye strain, intermittent double vision, avoidance of work, a a change in their academic performance, right? Maybe you had a kid in third grade that loved to read and now they're in sixth grade and you can't get them to pick up a book. Okay, that's indication of something is going on. And I really encourage parents that, you know, most kids aren't lazy. They want to learn. They want to be successful. If you find that they're struggling or avoiding or there's been a change, Look into their visual system. Find a doctor that does a vision therapy evaluation that doesn't just look if they can see clearly. In COVD, our parent organization has a doctor locator. Find one in your area. Um, I'll link that in our show notes to make it nice and easy for y'all to find a doctor in your area. But I think at the end of the day, this episode is really meant for you to understand what a vision therapy evaluation is, why it's important, and why this may be the missing link to a lot of people's puzzles, your kids' puzzles, your puzzles as an adult. Vision therapy is not just for kids. My oldest patient that I ever had in vision therapy was 88. And he did amazing. You know, he started realizing that he wasn't able to read for long periods of times like he used to. And it was his favorite thing to do. We put him in vision therapy and it completely changed his life because he was able to get back to reading. So what I say is, you know, get your yearly eye exams. But if you can't, if something doesn't feel right with your vision or your child's vision, make sure you seek out a doctor that's going to look a little further into your visual system. There's nothing wrong with second and third opinions. Uh, and it's really, it's an extensive workup, but it's worth it in the long run to really understand your visual system and how you're functioning. So I think this is a good place to stop for today. But like I said, we're going to be doing a bunch of back to basics with vision, with vision therapy. And we are really super excited for what's to come. And I hope that you guys have a great week and starting to enjoy this summertime weather. And we will speak to you next week. Thanks for listening. Follow us at Twin Forks Optometry on Facebook and Instagram. Join our private Facebook group, Vision is More Than 2020. Subscribe, download, and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Tune in next week to learn more about your vision.